The Eighth World Congress of Pediatric Cardiology and Cardiac Surgery will take place in the United States for the first time in 38 years in Washington, D.C. between August 27th and September 1st, 2023. There are 22 interdisciplinary tracks. There will be about four to 5,000 people. It's an opportunity for you to meet people you work with, either directly or collaboratively from all over the world uh, that we hope to see in Washington, D.C. Hey guys. Hey guys. Welcome back to the Selfie Show. It's Tori. And Sam. Two besties bring you all things healthcare, humor, and unpopular opinions. What's going on? I mean, this year it's like you close your eyes for two days and everything's always something new, something changed. Like, what the hell? I cannot keep up. I know. Literally, this week was popping. Yes. It's a showdown. Unpopular opinion. I don't know. Is this popular or unpopular? Like, because I don't know where people are at. Okay, yeah. With thread. Here we go. Are I, we threading? I'm, I like it. I'm threading. I'm like, here for it. I was number 10, user 10 million something. I'm like user 81 million because I was on the slow train and had, I had to come up for air because I've just been in a black hole. But like, holy smokes, like, it's just popping though. It is absolutely unhinged. It is hilarious. Okay, so I had Twitter in 2011 and it was unhinged. Yeah. I think my account's still active and it's private, thank God. So if you want to look me up, you can't. It's private, which is good because all of my drunk tweets from yeah. 2011 when I was in nursing school, Love that for you. all private. <laughs> but I was unhinged. My my name was The Saucy Minx, by the way. That was, Love that for you. That was literally my MySpace name and my Twitter name back in, you know, 2009 through 2011, whatever. But bro, yeah. I used to just like drunk tweet unhinged shit. And <laughs> I feel like that energy is back and I love it. Like people are saying things that they would never post on their stories. Or oh my God, I know. Like, I love this. Whomst are you? Whomst are you? What is going on? So Meta is finally having its moment with the Twitter alternative threads with 100 million users. Mark Zuckerberg is already winning his fight against Elon Musk, at least in the cage match that is social media. I cannot believe 100 million Bro, people Bro, that is wild. Wild. I mean, and that's how do you better than Zuckerberg thought? I so my first thread I wrote was like, I'm only here because I think Elon Musk is a tool, <laughs> and I think a lot of us are here just because we hate Elon Musk. But, but it's like okay, I'm conflicted because I'm yes, like, I hate Zuckerberg. I hate Facebook. I hate Meta. I hate yeah. that Instagram is part of Meta, but it is what it is. But I'm like, which one do I hate more? Right, like Probably the lesser Elon. of evils. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what are we choosing? But I hate that I'm making one billionaire rich just to screw another billionaire. I know. It's funny. Too I wish there was a startup. Like, I don't, I had a Twitter, but honestly, I never went on it. And I felt like it was a cesspool even like back in the day. And so, like, but now here I am, I'm threading and I'm kind of liking it. I also was really confused. Literally, my first thread was like, I'm confused. Is this feed, is the feed the same as your search explore page? I'm like, this is just hilarious, but I I don't know. I'm kind of here for it. I think there's I, kinks, but yeah. I think it's clean. Like aesthetically, it's so much cleaner. It like is. the black and white, I think is super clean. Mm-hmm. But I 
I like that it's tied to your Instagram because you immediately are connected with yeah, people. Yeah, I kind of do too. But then I kind of don't because there's some people where I'm like, I just accidentally did the follow all and I'm like, oh. Me too. Mer. But I kind of like feel like that's kind of the thing is like if everybody follows everybody, that's like kind of, it seems like what that's what seems like everybody's doing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like I just did it. The growth it. is already there. You don't yeah. have to like start from yeah. zero. I just followed everybody that I I'm like, eh, here we yeah. go. I'm going to give you a follow because why not? But um, I like I like how it is, too. It's nice and clean. I feel like it's hilarious. People there, I feel like, are bringing out a lot more personality than I ever would have thought. Yeah. The only thing that's interesting, and you brought this up. No, we got duped. We got duped. We got duped. Because if you want to delete your threads, you have to delete your entire Instagram. Mm-hmm. I saw someone thread that. They posted a picture, and they said, man, they got us. This is mm-hmm. what happens when we don't read terms. And it was like, delete account, and it showed the options, and it said... To delete, you can you either delete individual, you can go back and delete all your individual threads, but if right. you want to delete your whole account, you have to delete your Instagram. And I'm like, mm, that's crazy. That's a little sus. That's a little sus. But they do that with Meta, like to delete Facebook. I delete, I don't have Facebook, but my, I'm still it's active like you still have on Messenger. It. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I can't, because actually I just deactivated Facebook. I don't want to ever completely delete it because I have old pictures from there from Europe in 2010 that if I want to log back in and get them, I can, but I don't. But to get off Messenger, I have to delete, like fully delete my account. I'm like, why? Yeah. Even they make it really hard to undo things. Like it's funny because even on my on Instagram, so we have the shop attached to Mm. my thing and it's impossible to get it off of there. Like I wanted to get it off and I'm like, it's just things like that, that Facebook and Meta, they make it so hard to undo. And it is funny because so many things nowadays are linked to our Facebook accounts or like somehow linked to Meta in some way. Mm -hmm. So it's like they force you to almost have one, which is really frustrating. But I don't know. Threads, I'm I'm kind of here for it. It's unhinged. And I, I, honestly, we're all in it now together anyway. So <laughs> here we are. I know? would like nothing more to see Elon Musk fail. But I, I still know, right? hate Mark Zuckerberg. You know, but I I, like I just seeing, like the battle yeah. that is... I love watching the battle. I just like seeing two billionaires Go fight in general. That's fun. It's hilarious. I wanted the cage match fight, to be honest. I know. Was that? It's not happening, is it? No. Did it get canceled? Damn. Who would you have put money on? Like in an actual like cage match fight of must. Okay, so I feel like initially, honestly, Elon probably would have gotten the first round or two, but then I think he would have tired out, you know? Something about that to me. He's older. It gives me a little more like heart attacky vibes, you know? It looks like he probably like does steroids and more, but like I feel like Zuckerberg probably is like some black belt in karate totally. that we don't know about. You know yeah, what I mean? Like hundred percent. Yeah, like he's got. He the would probably stamina. like shut it down in like the first round, or he's like one of those bikers. You know, like the you know endurance bikers, like for sure. Oh, you know, I just feel like low key. There's something about that. I don't know. I think Elon would have come out, you know, swinging real hard, but then would have lost it in the, yeah. the second half. You know? I want to see everyone's most absolute just unhinged behavior. Though. Oh my so God, please I know. And I can't thank wait. you. It's been actually, and I love that because it is really bringing that out of people yeah. and I love it. Mm-hmm. I, that's not where I anticipated it going, but you know what? I'm here for the most like unhinged, unperfect, beautiful It's made moments. me like some people a little bit more than For I sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. Love that for us. One of the best episodes. Oh, my gosh. So good. This was by far. I don't know. This was like a deep moment with like, uh, he's going to love that we refer to him as like, like our uncle. I don't know. Or like someone that you just really. This is like love everyone's life mentor. For sure. After this episode, this is your new Mm -hmm. like wise mentor that you just want to like. You want to have a gill in your pocket. You know what I mean? Like he's like the guy that you just he's 
he's very wise, wise beyond his years, but then hilarious. So we love this combination. <laughs> also, just a man of very many hidden talents. So today we have on Dr. Warnofsky. He's a pediatric cardiologist and intensivist specializing in cardiac critical care. He graduated with his BS degree in 1978 in anthropology and music. Mm -hmm. Literally musician. Mm -hmm. So rad. It's mm -hmm. like it really shaped who he is. So he attended Penn State University College of Medicine and received his MD in 1982, completed his pediatric residency at New York Hospital, which is now known as Cornell. And in 1985, he did his pediatric cardiology fellowship at Boston Children's, finished that in 88, and has been focusing on cardiac intensive care ever since. He started at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia in 95 and was the medical director of the first pediatric cardiac intensive care unit in the United which States. Which is insane. Because we've insane. all modeled after that yep. since mm -hmm. then. And we've worked at them too. Um, Gil has been involved in training and mentoring over 300 fellows in pediatric cardiology, cardiac surgery, neonatology, critical care medicine, and cardiac anesthesia. In addition to countless residents and medical students, he's edited six textbooks, 13 periodicals. He's published nearly 300 peer-reviewed manuscripts, book chapters, and reviews. He has just an incredible Insane. work of like academic mm -hmm. research under his belt and, and he's been cited over 25,000 times insane That's and it's so such funny a flex. when you guys when we introduced him he was so mad at me but I'm gonna say it he is the man the myth mm -hmm. the legend in cardiology like he's absolutely amazing for pediatric cardiology he's making waves for everyone he's also the co-chair of upcoming the eighth quad how do you say this quadrennial quadrennial world congress of pediatric cardiology and cardiac surgery this has been planned for many years. He was also awarded the prestigious Newberg um, Bellinger Award in 2015 for his lifetime contributions to the field of neurodevelopment in children with heart disease. We want to give a very personal note here. So I personally met Dr. Wernoski at Neohart last year. I was introduced to him by many of your favorite, Dr. Amir Ashrafi. And I cannot tell you guys how blown away I was by his knowledge, his warmth, his ambition. It was a very brief um, introduction, honestly. But since then, we've developed a really amazing, just this professional, amazing relationship. And these amazing things that he has done have amounted to this one big moment that Sam and I will be going to officially. We wanted to tell you guys up top, we are officially going to the 8th World Congress. It is going to be in August and we are coming. So we want you guys to come with us. We have the link in the bio for you guys and in the show notes as well. We are thrilled. So I'm most likely going to be there Saturday through at least Tuesday. Sam will be there all week. So we would love to absolutely see you guys there. Again, the link is there in the bio for you. We are so thankful to have Dr. Gill on today. And have on this man with such amazing passion to change lives and improve medical team dynamics. And trust me, you guys, buckle up. You are in for an amazing episode. This is an honor for me. And thanks for the kind words. I really do appreciate it. It's, you know what? I read some of the notes that we were going to talk about. And first of all, you better have changed the name of this podcast. That's the first thing. Okay. I put, I, I, that's I the put, funniest email we've ever received. I know. I put the man, the myth, the legend, because you really are. And he was like, you better change the name of this episode. And I was like, all right, we'll go back to the drawing board. But it is true. Okay. You're a legend. So, so was Achilles. See what reason. happened to his heel? So it just better be something you. other than that. 
like you'll get to visit with Tori and All Sam. Right. That, well, that I promise. Well, and I was showing Sam, you know, when we were kind of, you know, reviewing, I was telling my telling her, like, we're going to have to narrow down this intro because I think it's the longest bio, the longest, most incredible bio I've ever seen in my life. And okay, so for people who don't know you, yeah, it was it was it might be shorter to just be like, okay, this is what he hasn't done. (laughs) Name one, two. I haven't done a podcast, but now I could say I did a podcast. Correct. (laughs) Well, boom. You know, you you got to add that to your resume now. Yeah, you do. I want to go back to the beginning, though, because you do have you have such an interesting professional life and career, but this definitely stemmed from somewhere. So for people who don't know you, let's get some context of a little bit more of your upbringing. You're from Philly, but I want to get a little bit more of the, <laughs> okay. the younger. East. Well, just to put it in perspective, I'm classic boomer. I was born in 1956. I didn't have a seatbelt. My parents smoked. I ate Swanson TV dinners and peas out of a can, right? So, Those are so I, was, I was about as Northeast Philly as you could get. So I grew up in the Northeast in a row house, which is uh, basically 20 houses connected. All, the walls are all contiguous with each other. It was sort of a lower middle-class area of Northeast Philly, but my parents were really diehard on getting me two things. There was non-negotiable. One was education, and a career, not a job. They said that all the time. You want a career and not a job. I didn't know what, you know, 12, what do I know? And they, and they forced me to continue my instrument when I did not want to. And there's a lot of interweaving of music. I'll, I'll tell you a few stories along the way, but there's a lot of interweaving between the music that I do and other things that I've done growing up and how I ended up becoming a physician. So, you know, it, it's the seventies, it's high school. We're listening to what, you know, you don't know, <laughs> but, oh, you know what? My first kind, guess, guess what the first well, we concert was that I, that I ever went to. We might know. I was, I was born in 56. The who? Okay. I'm going Joni Mitchell. I'm going the who I'm going. Oh, oh, there you go. so I knew early okay. on. I was going <laughs> to say the Eagles. Yeah, so wow. I knew okay. at that point. You knew, that like, you knew. It was the most ridiculous experience I ever had. It was 10 years old and, um, you know, who knew what that would turn into. But my parents were very supportive of doing that. And it was non-negotiable that I continue with my education. So going back to the younger years. So I was in high school in the seventies. It was, I won't get into what I can't get into on the selfie show, but it was, you can get into everything. Honestly, whatever you want, you can cuss, you can say whatever you want. We love this for us. So you can be a true Philadelphian. You can be. It was the seventies. And I, I played, I played (laughs) a lot of music. Enough said. I started to play in a, in, in a band and we played Almond Brothers and we played Eagles and we played Yes and, you know, that sort of genre. Then I went, I knew I wanted to do something with a career, but I wasn't exactly sure what it was. I thought I was going to become a vet. And there were only 22 vet schools in the country, yeah. very hard to get into. Yeah. Still yeah. Very I mean, pediatrics still is the next best thing, right? I guess I'll just well, be a the, doctor. And no, I mean, I have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's how I rank things. Animals. Then yeah. pediatrics, well, the, well, you, then I get to, that's my, my patients can't talk to owner. me and I have to listen to their owners. It's the same thing as being a vet, right? Anyway, so I thought it was going to be a vet and I went to a, a, a relatively <laughs> small school in the right outside of Boston called Brandeis University. And I did a couple of things there. I, I did not go the traditional pre-med route. I was an anthropology major and a music major. And I joined a band and we, we 
we cut what we cut what was called an EP at the time. It was on vinyl, it was through an eight-track thing. And the day we opened for a, a jazz guitarist at a, at a club, about 3,000 people, right? I'm, I'm 19 years old, 20 years old. The, the, day I, the day that we opened for this guy's name was George Benson. The day we opened for George Benson, I got into medical school. And at that point, I had to sort of make this wow. decision, what am I going to do? And my father, he was never like, you have to do this with me. He gave me a lot of options and whatnot. This is the first time he was really firm. And he said, you can, for all I care, you can play with the Rolling Stones after you get your degree. Get your degree because you'll never lose that. And you'll always have your music. And of course, I was very torn at that point. But he was right, like he was many, many other times. And if you look at some of the books I've written, the acknowledgments are always thanking my parents for not allowing me to become a musician because I would not be sitting here talking with you if that was the case. So fast forward, I went to medical school in Penn State. Penn State Medical School is in Hershey. So you wake up in the morning, you smell chocolate. It's, it's just like they, they say. And I in hmm. my fourth year of medical school, my my wife, but my girlfriend at the time lived in Philly and she had an apartment and I basically wanted to go stay with her for a month, which in, in 1981 was not the same as it is now. So I called Children's Hospital of Philadelphia a month before, like nobody calls for an elective a month before. I called a month before and to talk about serendipity and they said, somebody just dropped out of this rotation. Would you like to do pediatric cardiology? I said, sure. I, I, like, I didn't know. Uh, and I basically, I, I basically just wanted to live no, with my, with my wife. Just... We've just been married for our 41st anniversary. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, but at the time, so now I, I go into pediatric cardiology as a medical student, you know, and you think you know what you're doing. You, you've met the medical students that probably come in your unit. You, you know, that they, they're one of two types. They're one, they know it all, or they're deer in the headlights. You never sort of get the, yeah. the in-between medical student. Right. There really isn't. There's no, and in, I there's no in between. I'm sure that shocks you. And I walked in and there was this man tinkering with the EKG machine. It was those old EKG machines with a needle and you would get one lead and all the rest of it. And I, I'm like, I have to do an EKG stat. I felt very proud of myself that I said stat. Um, and he goes, young man, the only thing you have to do stat is think. And that was... That man fixing the EKG machine was a guy named Bill Rashkin, who invented the Rashkin atrial septostomy. Like, I'm talking to this guy like I know what I'm doing, and here's one of the fathers of pediatric cardiology, wow. and I'm thinking he's with biomedical engineering. Yeah, just another one, another one of these like <laughs> ego moments where you sort of need to be a little bit humble. Um, and I had some great experiences with that, but I, I didn't think I was going to be a pediatric cardiologist. I got into my fellowship at, or my residency at what was called New York Hospital at the time. And that's in Manhattan. It's now called Weill Cornell. And I, you know, did my my very first patient, July third, as an intern. Right, I'm coming up on the anniversary of that. Was a kid that came up from the ER with a calcium of like 15, and was a uh, kid with Williams syndrome and heart disease. My first patient. I should have known. So my first patient as an intern had heart disease. Then I went into the ICU. My first patient had heart disease. Something was steering me in this direction. And I was, we didn't have a match back then. So I was offered a fellowship in Boston Children's uh, uh, and I took that fellowship and then a whole bunch of other events happened, which led, uh, that are also equally coincidental. 
Um, but I'll stop there and see if there's other questions. So I went basically from the row houses of Philly with a series of events that just seemed to fall into my lap, which has happened all my career and ended up a fellow at the premier children's hospital where in the eighties was the place where all the new stuff was done. Um, I'll just say one other thing before I, before I mm -hmm. take a break where I ended up as a first year fellow was where the first arterial switches were done where the first Norwoods were done where the first pediatric electrophysiologist happened, wow. where color Doppler came in, where the first cardiac intensive care unit was. And of course, as a, as a novice fellow, I thought that's what was sort of everywhere. So I was exposed to the people right. that led the field five years ahead of me. And they were great mentors and great sponsors and really helped me along the way get to where I am now. There's no question that if I didn't take that fellowship again, uh, mm -hmm. I wouldn't be here with you. So, so we actually all have your wife to thank for that. Because <laughs> you didn't just want to be with Sam her. for so many things. Does she remind you of that um, all on the regular? Because I would. I'd be no, like, not on well, the regular, but actually, but when when I'm not uh, fairly often, I'll, I'll I'll leave it that way. But seriously, I we love her for that. What comes to mind, though, is, okay, because Sam and I have done this now. I've been about 10 years. You've been 12-ish? Yeah. Okay. And what's so remarkable about you is you have a very unique gift with communication and teaching. And also, there is an element with you that I think is, it's like medical meets <laughs> almost artistic. I, do you feel like, you know, through your journey... Do you think that that had an effect on you through your journey? I, I would argue that it helped you in a lot of ways, like that artistic side of it. But, you know, that kind of how have you gotten to this amazing person that you ha are today where you're you're leading, you're writing books, you are changing, you know, a you are changing lives for children, truly. I mean, I know we like to all write that off, but you really are. But. How have you mastered all that? Uh, thank you again. That's awfully kind. That uh, I'll share just a couple of vignettes that that relates to that. So when I interview fellows or staff people or or whatnot, I like to find out what kind of sports they do and what kind of music they like. I played ultimate frisbee for thirty five years at a, at the U.S. level, and for me, being on a team right. is the most important thing that, for me to get satisfaction in anything. And isn't that what gets us to where we are today? When I, so when I find out somebody's favorite sport is soccer, and this is not a knock on anything, soccer or rugby or baseball or basketball, that speaks to me as a team member. If I interview somebody and they like marathon running, one-on-one -on -one tennis, you see the direction that I'm going. Those are, those are people that are singularly focused mm -hmm, right. and will bring a lot to the table. And you have to sort of sort out what type of person are we looking for? I fall in one category. I, I can't do the other stuff. I am very social, as you can tell. So, so that's one part of it. When I get to the music part, if you can play in an orchestra or you can play in a band, especially jazz, and hear what's happening around you and respond to that in the way that we do in an intensive care unit in particular, the the parallels are are uncanny and for me as a pop jazz piano player sports player intensivist 
I see very little difference in the personality type that goes with those three things. I think they're very related. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the discipline it takes to become very good at this, or the interest, and, and I do, and you can never do it alone. Right, it takes can't years do it alone. Practice, practice. Right? There's 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 no way never, to do what right. we do alone. So there are great. I'll pick something. An office-based pediatric neurologist who will give you the best neuro exam you will ever get is singularly focused on one patient. A surgeon who might be doing a delicate arterial switch is singularly focused. At that time, there's nothing going on around her or him. Um, same thing with an anesthesiologist. But if you want to work in an intensive care unit, um, you've got to be a team player. And so it was natural for me, given what my personality type was, to gravitate to the sports like that, to gravitate to music like that, and to gravitate to the ICU. I, I thought I was going to be an outpatient pediatric cardiologist. And I, and I walked into my fellowship and there was a cardiologist there named Peter Lang, who was of many, many people, one of the most primary persons that's responsible for where I am now. He loved what he did, you know, and it wasn't that I liked intensive care, although I did. I said, I want to be like that guy. I want to be as happy as he is coming into work every day. I want to be able to watch him teach and hug a parent when something goes well. And, you know, and, and like many things, like when I met Bill Rashkin, it, it, it's not so much for some of us, I don't know how you guys were, but for some of us, it's the science. For some of us, it's the, the way surfactant works. For some of us, it's that I come in and there's 22 people there that day and we're all going to pull up our bootstraps and get her done. <laughs> I think you really touch on just the dynamics of having successful medical teams, because I think no matter which end of the spectrum you're on, nursing, medical, or even some of all the other disciplines that are involved in that ICU setting, it really does take a village. But I think you help kind of model a good way. And I know you're big on training and mentoring new doctors and everything and, ner as and nurses kind of coming up into this. So I thought and it was nurses. interesting. And nurse, which yeah. honestly, I Thank learned, God. like, I know that you and Dr. Yeah. Ashrafi are close and he did He's a great job favorite. of mentoring us as nurses yes. when we worked with him. He and would grab the whiteboard. This is a fun, this is a fun, <laughs> back in our day, mm -hmm. it would, it was like, let's call 1am. It wasn't yeah. midnight because he knew that was care times, but he would come fact in, that he knew The fact that he knew what, what, what time were care times is, is how you work as a team. Mm -hmm. He would stroll in and he'd say, what's up, party people? What are you doing? And then he would he'd be like, let's talk about pressers. Let's talk about pressers. And then we would say, hey, like, or he would say, let's pick a diagnosis. What is your kid on? And then he'd say, oh, PDA, are we treating it? Are we not? And then why are we treating it here? Why are we not treating it there? You know, it's just yeah. that kind of mentality that I think makes a really good team. And he's affected us for the rest of our careers, truly. Like, and I think it's the modeling good teamwork because even when you described that one doctor you're like i want to be like him i want to come in and be happy to be at work and be in a good mood and hug parents and so you now having being where you are what advice do you have for people coming up where they were like i want to be like gil like if i was like gil i want to be like you like yeah. how do i how do i do that well i'll tell you the the things that make me happy now you know 40 years into this and I think it's that I've really embraced that it's our responsibility, the global, our responsibility to pay it forward. That 
what I learned, good and bad, like, don't do this. I screwed that up. It's our, so when I, when I walk in and there's a novice nurse who is a little bit, you know, just coming to take their first post-op or, or whatever it might be, or they're just coming out of school and on orientation, they have to feel like they're supported at every level because we know that if they stay there for a number of years, not only does that make your unit do better, they're happier. They're having a career, not a job. And that's at every level. So mm -hmm. if you're, so the advice that I would have is that the respect I have for the people who gave me my opportunities and my teaching, it's, I owe it to them to do it to the next generation. That responsibility is there. And if you come into it being humble, I mean, and early on in my career, it was about me. It's like how many times I got on the stage and, you know, oh, look, I have a new line on my CV and all that stuff. And that's normal. That's, I think that that's, I think that's an appropriate sort of attaboy. But as, as you move forward, it really does become our responsibility to then not take the stage and give the next generation the stage. So if to answer you, that's a long answer, Tori, to the, or Sam, to the question of what advice do I have? That's a part one is that it's not about you. It, it's about our field and it's about helping other people. Most importantly, the baby and their parents. And then I, I guess the second part is to be open to things that fall in your lap. And I saw one of the questions that we might talk about is the difference in the generations. Yeah, yeah the, I want to hear this, this sort of lays into it is yeah. how to be a good mentee. The notion, uh, what I've seen is the notion of my generation, what, you know, we were 36 on 12 off, 36 on 12 off. It was absurd. It was unsafe. It was stupid. If I'm not doing the back in my day, I did this back in my day, I would drive the wrong way down a, a one-way street because I wasn't paying attention. But what we felt responsible yeah. for was if somebody gave us a project, you do it, man. You do it. And you, if something falls in your lap, you do it. The difference I see now, and it's probably healthier for the for the trainee or the nurse or the doctor or whatever of the so-called work-life balance. And we can even get into that. But if an opportunity falls in your lap, not only do you have to be open to it, but you have to be a good mentee. It's, you, know, you can't expect your mentor to just drop something in your lap and then feed you stuff every two months to say, you have to do your part. So it's not about you. We have a responsibility to pay for it and you have to do your part. Balancing that with, you've got, you know, you've got kids, you've got a loan to pay, you've got all the other things that are real life is the challenge in the current generation. Mm -hmm. I love that you brought that up. That's something that Sam and I have talked a lot about is in the, our generation, let's call it the millennial, your boomer, right? And we're raising our Gen Z coming up. It is an interesting weird time that we're in because I personally feel like I am taking a little bit more route of I need to say no to this, but also feeling I really want to continue to give back in my profession. I want to be the best at what I'm doing. And I want to also teach this upcoming amazing generation. We want them to get involved, but then we don't want them burned out. You know, there's a lot of burnout going on. And, and this is very heavy in nursing right now, right? It's like we we see everyone leaving bedside for for reasons. And 
we lived those reasons. We were those reasons. We would work 12 shifts in a row, you know, to try and make those bonuses. And I mean, we did some crazy no, stuff. No, I did 15. Are they 12s or 8s? 12. I never did 15. You but did 15, 12? 12s. 12 night shifts. Wow. Yeah, that's We crazy. were crazy. They were giving bonuses. Yeah, we were like, and we were 20 something. We were 24, 25. You know, we were like living it up. Night I also shift. didn't want to take a day off because then I would lose my assignment. You we know were... what I mean? If I, I had a good assignment, I had a micro preemie that was two <laughs> six hour cares on drips was NPO. So I was like, you're critical, but you're stable and you're a one to one. If I take one shift off, it's going to get assigned to someone new. And then I'm going to. So I'm yeah. like, I'm going to coast. I'm going to ride this assignment. Not safe. Not not safe. You know, and it safe, is funny because I, I did it. I find myself being in that shoes too, Gil, and I love that you brought this up, is like, I don't want to be the person that says, this is how we did it. This is what we went through. But then there's that little ting of like, but we went through it. And so like, you know, that's this is what has built me to be the nurse I am today. So then should... I think we touch on this know? a lot when we talk about bullying, where we're like, listen, you gotta toughen up and man up a little bit, but it doesn't mean that some of the things that we experienced were right or okay. And there's a balance in there. Yeah. Like doing the 36 hours and stuff, you're like, that, no, that's, that's not, okay. not should, good. Right. But I think the younger generation, they do need to like toughen Still, up a smidge, but it doesn't mean right. to the extremes of, because we suffered, you have to suffer too. Right. I don't like I that. Loving, I am loving listening to the um, two of you. A, this is there's fantastic. There's a happy middle. <laughs> there's a happy middle in there. There is a happy because there are people that are just like, well, in my day and I, I suffered and I went through this. So you should have to, too. It's like, no, no, no. I want mm -hmm. things. I want to leave things better than I found them or what I went through. But I also want to empower people to be them best selves. So there's there's a and a piece spot. of a team. Right. Yeah. And like want to. There's so many things going through my head as you're talking about you know. that. But but it, it, it was and you're not saying anything that I haven't heard before. Uh, what you're experiencing is not unique to Southern California. It's just as common here in DC or Philly or go Eagles fly. Um, Eagles fly. It, it's the same everywhere. It's hard to find a role model that stays at the bedside for 30 years anymore. I mean, that just, that sort of stuff is hard, but the, I, right. I heard a number of things in there, especially Sam, what, what you were talking about is we all respond to incentives, right? We all get resentful when our expectations are not met. We all want progress, but we're resistant to change, which is a, which is a real important thing, which took me a long time to remember about that. The, those are, and the fact that my generation has to come to give in also, just like the younger generation, as you were saying, quote, toughen up a little bit. That the, my, my sense is in a negative word in a, of entitlement, I don't want to say entitlement, but I said entitlement. We know you mean. No, though it, it is it's, a little bit. A little I, bit. I taught it nursing is. school for yeah. five years and I was yeah, getting a little burnout is. during COVID because I was teaching on Zoom and I'm like, the entitlement is there and you guys are having some unreasonable expectations that this is just like, I would have someone's parent email me. I'm like, this is a university. You are in college to get your bachelor's degree in nursing and your parent is emailing me. Yeah. Or when you go to work, is your parent going to email your employer? And like, yeah. no, no, no. It's hard. Like, I mean, it, it's stop. hard for, it's hard for my generation <laughs> so, for sure to note, to recognize 
that things have changed. To me, the biggest two changes across this time has been the internet and cell phones. These things have changed everything. That if you've grown up with those things, you expect things to happen instantly. You want DoorDash? Boom. You got DoorDash. Mm -hmm. you, want Net you want a movie? I got it on Netflix. You want this fancy microphone you made me buy? Boom. You go to, you go to, ha just, it, it just came out. I don't know what I could do. No, if, if, but you order that on Amazon, it comes the next day. I love it. So the younger generation, that's normal to them. So for me to say yeah. that's right. There's no blockbuster runs on Friday yeah. night trying to figure out that's right. arguing over what movie we're doing. No internet. And to me, if I had to say what are the differences, those two things enable the different attitudes we see today. Number one, you can find out that what's going on in the intensive care unit in Bozeman, Montana, which to me, when I grew up, did not exist. The only we competed against each other. Mm -hmm. So you jump, you jumped. Yes. I would argue that was even 10 years ago. I would argue that's recent that the shifting of more sharing is yep. social media based. So, yes. Like almost. it's interesting because I would say 10 years ago, that was still a thing. We were competing. We were competing with other, other hospitals. With but other you kind of have to hospitals. wait for conferences to come out or actual research studies to actually know now, what they were doing over there because the information sharing wasn't Instantaneous. Now it's like everyone's talking, everyone's, you know, and I, I love that personally, but so, yes, I would agree So with the you. notion, like my first research project, my very first paper, the spreadsheet that I used was a, it was a type, well, first of all, I typed it on a typewriter and every time there was a mistake, I had to get the wipe off stuff. And the spreadsheet was the nursing assignment sheet. It had a lot of grids on it and that's how, you know, so for me to think, oh my God, I, I can't believe how easy it is for these kids. Great. Instead of just grumbling about it, we all want progress, but we're resistant to change. So I have to lean into the notion right. that my, my students, my fellows, the nurses should not have to memorize the five Jones criteria for rheumatic heart disease. Why, why memorize that? You need to know how to look them up on your computer in your pocket. So there has to be some give and take from my generation and the people that are struggling with that fortunately are going off into a different profession. And the younger gen, the, the current people coming out of school doing this for about five years have always had that and expect things instantly. I don't mean expect. They're used to things happening quick. So when, when you can't get something through the IRB for three months, it's the IRB's problem, not mine. If you, if you can't get your computer to work very well, it's IT's problem, not mine. If I want something done, I send an email and click send. Now it's not my problem. It's someone else's. Not knowing if the email got there or whatever. So if I, if I had to sort of say where part of that challenge is, is, is recognizing that people are, have expectations of rapidity and being given things that my generation never saw. I mean, it took a long time and you didn't do the work. The hell with you. I'll, I'll find somebody else who does the work. So th these are the clashes, right? That, that I see. Right. And, and if, if the middle gen, what do you guys call millennials? If you guys have an expectation for the younger nurses to do something and they don't meet that expectation, you might become resentful. 
Whereas the reality is, is the student the problem or your expectation is not the right ones to have? Probably somewhere in the middle, right? So these are the clashes that every generation, right. I'm sure my parents looked at our generation as, what is that crap you're listening to downstairs? You know, it's like, I, just like I said to, you know, to something else. So every generation has this, the difference is we're talking mm -hmm. about it. Yeah. It's being videoed. The interesting part too is, yeah, well, the other thing too, which I think is interesting and maybe in the defense of our younger generations and maybe in our generation is comparatively speaking to your generation, there's so much more on top of the things that you guys had as a base, right? It's like more medications, more technology, more diagnosis, sicker patients, you know, just like we know so much more, there's so much more to add on top of that. So I feel like that's a big factor. I guess my question to you is, what are some of, in terms of cardiology, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in your 39 years? Like, some, like someone's I mean, age. Yeah. Like, uh, can you even, like, where do you start? You know, like, where do you even start? Right. Where do you even start with that? Well, it's, we it's just, from, I mean, we just actually, yeah. you were a co-author that we, Tori, we, we put something in the anatology today, the July issue where I got a chance to sort of mute, to mm -hmm. think about that. None of None of the surgery that we now do, none of the intensive care that we now do would ever have happened without two medical things, which is prostaglandin and echocardiography. I came right at the cusp of that. So prior to around 1982, if you were born with, so the surgeons might've been able to put things together, but they never had a baby that was stable enough to do it. So that was the first step. The second step was echo. Uh, which we all take for granted now, but we went to the cath lab to make a diagnosis with a kid with a pH of 7.2. So those two things set the stage, right? Yeah. That we didn't, we can make a diagnosis non-invasively and we can stabilize it. So that then opened up the door to neonatal heart surgery. And that then opened up the door to cardiac intensive care units, which I can talk about another time of the pluses and minuses of those. <laughs> You're ready to jump in. I can see it. Like you, let, let me let. Yeah, I'm like we're oh, gonna go back to that one. I just need to mention that. I was like, we'll be back. So, so yes, what? <laughs> we'll so there was this boom of neonatal yeah, surgery well, that were made that was made possible by the things that we just talked about. The next biggest medical thing was clearly nitric oxide. We were the way we dealt with um, the risk of pulmonary hypertension prior to 1992 was significant hyperventilation, barotrauma. High, high doses of pressors, you know, things along those lines. So, and we shared a lot of this with the NICU, right? So there was surfactant, we had prostaglandin. There was mm -hmm. nitric oxide, there was nitric oxide. There was ECMO in both units. These were the things that, that laid the groundwork. Mm -hmm. And in my view, there hasn't really been a disruptive change. We're like, oh my God, we've never done this before in the past 20 years. Um, basically there's not been a new operation. There's been tweaks to what we do. There's been some better medication use. There's been some strategic things, some, um, strategies to get kids extubated. But the real boom in our field is 20 years ago. I'm waiting for the next one. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've been around long enough to sort of, it's coming, right? Prostin was in the mid seventies. Neonatal heart surgery was, was in say. the mid nineties. And here we are, we're waiting for it. What's it going to be? I, you need yeah. something. Yeah. We need something to shush it up. Yeah. I think what people don't understand is I've worked at a children's hospital my entire career and I explained to them that we're a children's hospital, but yes, there are adult patients at our children's hospital and they're like confused. And I'm like, 
If you work at like a tertiary, I can never say that word, tertiary type children's hospital that has cardiac patients, what you guys don't understand is back in the day, like you said, they used to just die. And now they've gone so far in this world of car- pediatric cardiology that we've been able to keep patients alive that are now in their 20s and an adult cardiologist is going to have no idea about their pathophysiology of their cardiac defect and the surgery that they did to, I always joke when I used to teach nursing school and I teach about cardiac defects, I would always tell my nursing students that cardiac surgeons are just fancy plumbers, but I was like, don't ever call them that because they're not going to think it's a funny joke. (laughs) But I was like, I'm trying to reframe their mind of like, okay, when we go talk about these, what we're really doing is repiping the heart Mm -hmm. to make it go. Like there's some sort of blockage or it's not piped. The pipes aren't in the right spots, so we have to basically repipe the heart to make it function. And that's how I would always kind of describe it to my nursing students. But I was like, don't You're, tell that I've heard... to cardiac surgeons because they don't. It's a very expensive degree and a lot of training. But I'm like, they don't think it's the funny. The first person funny I heard I do, say that, but... Sam, you're going to love this. Um, but yeah. The first person, uh, the first person, I have a video of it. I can share it with you afterwards. The first person that I ever heard say that in an interview was Bill Norwood of the Norwood operation. Said the problem is... Oh, I love that. There you go. And that's like what I'm talking about. I'm like, the Norwood is a classic example of repiping the heart. The problem is with the plumbing plumbing. and the people who fix the plumbing are surgeons. This is Bill Norwood's out of his mouth. So you're right up there with the giant, Sam. That's perfect. Love it. Love it. God, I should have just been a cardiac surgeon. Why did I go to nursing school? That's a whole nother podcast. Um, But but no, I think it's... No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm, I'm glad I chose what I did. But I think it's really interesting because... We do. We have these adults before that now are living and they're right. Like, but they used to not live. So now it's like, okay, how do we manage this into now that they're going to come up into their 30s and so on and so forth? Because that is so new. There was a really interesting presentation on a from a cardiologist who is actually studying those patients now. I'm I'm sure you're probably familiar with some of the research in that. But it is interesting because it is a different population where these 30-year-olds are all survive, you know, doing well or whatever and requiring some sort of follow-up with their cardiologists. But we don't have a lot of information on them, so that's that is a really interesting point and I know that's something that's, I'm assuming in cardiology, oh, gosh, that's something yeah, that's coming up for you. Think of a couple of things just, more so. just to share with you. The, imagine, all right, it's great. I think it's fantastic. I have a patient now who is a fourth year with hypoplastic left heart syndrome, who uh, is a fourth year medical student. He's going, so so imagine a pro, that I'm sorry, amazing. he's a fourth year fellow. He's about to be a staff cardiologist. Um, imagine your doctor wow. coming in and you're scared to death because your baby has HLHS. He goes, oh, I have that too. So if you, so if you, yeah. Especially like that level of diagnosis. Yeah. Like I honestly kind of just got chills because that used to be well, such you know, if you a were death born before, If you were born before like, Proston and your ducks, so there's nobody who was born before 1980. Yeah. So I was born in 56. If I was born with anything that needed the duct open, I would not be here, right? So it was the medical advance of, of Proston that was very similar to in the NICU population. If you were 33 weeks before, before surfactant, you died. So there was a huge difference as soon as surfactant mm-hmm. came around. The younger generation takes for granted that the kid was surfed, right. but that allows you to take care of these kids. Now right. like it, it's, 
there, there's so many wonderful stories. So there's, first of all, the other part about it is imagining being a 16 year old with something that was fixed new and you know, there's nobody older than you with this. And before the internet, you thought you were the only person right. in the world with this. So there, again, all this, there's right. support groups now and we're learning all that stuff. But if it's 1990 and you had your Norwood in 1984, you are scared to death. Your parents haven't let you do anything. You have become an obese Doritos eater, which isn't good for your Fontan either, right? So, so many things have changed because we didn't know that that was going to be an issue until it happened. I have a, another a young woman who's just wonderful with HLHS who just had her baby and her, her own baby. She, so now I can Aww. see my patients becoming parents and it's, it, it, you know, it's just, it's unbelievable. So again, the wow. things that we thought were science fiction when I started are now, yeah, of course. Yeah. We, I can talk to you in Southern California and see you and share something with you. That's, yeah. you know. So what's going to be your generation science fiction? Yeah. Embrace that and see what it's going to be. Because even some of these things that are, were such new advancements, we really do take for granted. We're like, okay, we're just going to do this kid's septostomy at the bedside yeah. and bring PGE with you to the delivery room. And yeah, like all those things are just stat echo. Like yeah. Dr. Ashrafi yeah. does his own echoes. At he just bedside. pulls the machine out and is like, mm -hmm. oh, all right. Like yeah. we just take all of that for granted as yeah. just like easy well, standard great. of care. Yeah. My my hope is that I get to see all these people that I help train at whatever level. And I've been fortunate enough to, um, neonatology fellows and junior staff and critical care and cardiology and anesthesia and surgery and tons of nurses and to watch them get up on the stage and invent something new and do randomized trials. I mean, it's just the best, man. It, it, it absolutely is the best thing you can see. So I, I see a young, eager Dr. Ashrafi. He'll probably listen I to this, but. You know, he's sort of like a gold. He, he's like a golden. Probably. Yeah, would it be fair to describe man? him as a golden retriever on a it, freshly waxed floor? If there's yeah. a heart around. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah. We yeah, always yeah. joke. Or I always say love that, like, yeah, he in the we NICU. We would always joke like preemie, whatever. I'm not getting out of bed. HIE, my fellow whatever. can handle it. Blah blah blah. Like da da da. We are like, hey, cardiac. He's like. Bone, I always joke, I'm like instant, just like boner alert. He loves his cardio. But you know what? I love, I absolutely love that. Yeah. We all do because it's, mm -hmm. he also loved to teach it, which is a very special. I think that's why place. I like cardiac as my yeah. favorite. Like, I, I love, I love you guys. I love you guys more and more. I, didn't think I actually want to ask you. You know, now that I hear you both love the cardiac kids, I'm just love you more. <laughs> well, once <laughs> you start hanging out with us, you might change your mind. Yeah. But that's true. Skin. You got a tough skin. You're yeah. good. What, was there a moment for you, this is like a weird question, but like in throughout your career, was there a moment where you realized like you were the leader that you wanted I'm not to even become? Sure. I'm not even sure I'm or there like, now. Was there a moment um, for you? Yeah. No. Short answer is no. It was not a light switch. It was more like a dimmer switch that you start to feel the, the starting to feel that I am now of the older generation doesn't happen when you wake up and have a birthday. It's sort of, it, I, I think where I recognize, where I started to recognize it is what a large number of people that I help train are now division chiefs and department heads and, and have sort of gone way beyond where I am. And, and they actually like thank me periodically, which is sort of cool. 
and they've gone much further than I ever did. That's when I, that's when I feel that, that I've helped, you know, that I, that I've done. It, it's more, it's more, yeah, that's right. They're all great. I think yeah. I get so emotional. It's yeah. kind of a fun shift though. I, yeah. Yeah. But I think that's actually, so you mentioned one of the things about mentoring to you is like, you want to see someone you mentored up on stage because they developed some new treatment or intervention or procedure or something like that. But I feel like that's such a good segue into what you've done in the conference world, because that yeah. is like a huge, interesting thing that we want to get into because yeah. That really is setting the stage for mm -hmm. that sharing of information and mm -hmm. education where, and learning. Where did this all start? Yeah. Let's start at square one, day one. Where was the, where, how did you yeah. do this? It well, starts gonna, with your first talk, all right? I'm a medical student segments. and I have to give a talk on the pancreas. I know you're excited. Who wouldn't be excited about a pancreas? So, and it's in the days of slides and, you know, projections and all stuff. And I'm giving my talk and I'm talking about insulin and this. And then I show the microscopic slide and I say, look, look at the, these are the islet cells. Look, they're all over the fucking place. And I keep talking and, and I'm giving the whole talk. I have no idea I said that. None. And at the end, one of the medical students comes up and he goes, do you know what you said? And it was, I, I realized at that point, number one, that for me, fortunately, I was given a, um, a gift from God, whatever, that I'm very comfortable describing things. If I have a cue, I'm very bad at getting up and not having PowerPoint. <laughs> so I liked at the beginning, I liked um, giving talks. And then I liked going to um, either a small room with 10 people and, and interacting like this. And then early in my career, I got to talk in front of big, large audiences. So then I really... It was, it was 1998 and I was working at CHOP in Philly, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. And I was invited to speak at a conference in Orlando in February. So, all right, imagine it's Philadelphia in February and we all have the seasonal effect of depression <laughs> and I'm tired of it. And I get out of the plane and it's Florida yeah. in February. And I thought, this kind of makes a lot of sense, <laughs> you know? And it was Arnold Palmer was doing a, a conference and they invited me to be part of it. And then I got on the, or I weaseled my way into the organizing committee and then chopped at it with them. And then we started a meeting in uh, 1999, which is now known as the CHOP cardiology meeting, which started out with, oh, I don't know, 150 people. And it's now just had its 25th year. It's been taken over by Jack Rychick after I left CHOP and has taken it beyond to the next level. But it was fun because it gave me amnesia. And what that means is that the six months leading up to it are hell. And then you have this, it's like a baby. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you don't remember, I, I don't know, I've never had a baby, but you don't remember the labor. You don't remember the labor, but then you get this beautiful thing that comes out at the other yeah. end. Let's do it again. So we did it every year. And, and then the, then the, it grew and it grew. And I've been involved in small ones with, you know, teaching to the pediatricians in the community with running an ACHD meeting, that big interdisciplinary meeting, which was the first, I think, to have not just cardiologists, but nurses and surgeons. Because the reality is for what you and I do, from what we do, if you don't have the whole team there, it doesn't, it doesn't really work as well. So then, as, as I think you know, and if you don't mind me talking about what's coming up, I'd be happy to do that. But the no, please, yeah, we're excited. Yeah. We are. I'm, so I'm glad so you excited. are because in Can't the wait. next eight 
the next eight weeks, it's going to be a little crazy. But so there's this thing. We're not the pregnant ones. We're just like, thank, <laughs> we're, we're like we're, an auntie we're and uncle that just get to be like, oh, cute baby. And oh then my gosh. Share it with social we media and be like, let's it. go yeah. together. Look at our new niece at, and nephew. They're Yay. so cute. Yeah. But we're not the pregnant one. Or while you're pregnant, it, so. the, the two-year-old toddler yeah, pulling exactly. on your on your pants. Hey, come change my diaper. And yeah, just, there you go. Well, yeah. Um, so <laughs> this comes back to 2009. All right. Everything's got, you know, you should have invited me. You shouldn't invite me if, for only an hour. So this is because the reason behind, the reason why I'm oh, doing we're gonna the go World over. Congress it's fine. is you're okay because of the Philadelphia Eagles. So you're going to have to give me a little bit. There is a connection here. So in 2009, the Eagles were in the NFC Championship game against the St. Louis Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals, St. Louis Cardinals, the Cardinals. And I had a connection to get Super Bowl tickets. The Super Bowl was in Tampa. And I'm sure I'm going to see the Eagles in the Super Bowl. And I'm on call in the CIC with Chuck, and I watch their quarterback just throw a bomb to Larry Fitzgerald and we lose the game, but I still have Super Bowl tickets. So I go to the Super Bowl with my friend, Jeff Jacobs, and he turns to me and because we had run meetings together in, in Florida, he goes, why don't we try to bring the World Congress to the United States? It's never been here. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. Now, had the Eagles won that game? How many beers did you guys have at that yeah, point? How, had, how many drinks had, did we have at well, that point? You know, it's a whole, it's a whole nother. We we told Jeff he had a transplant. We planted uh, his nurse coordinator for the transplant team <laughs> to say he had a transplant uh, at, at the first quarter and he had to leave. And so he's like, oh, oh shit! He throws his beer in the trash. And that's another. That's another podcast. I but had that. had I the Eagles won, so had that conversation, I would have been cheering and all that. There's all these things that happen. That, that's the butterfly effect, right? So anyway, we decide to do that. We get the bid. We get 30 children's hospitals to give us some startup money. We make a proposal. We go visit three cities. Um, we decide Washington is the best place in the United States to hold the conference. Uh, we have a group called Destination DC, which has just been incredible. Three airports to come in. Um, it's, a, it's a very metropolitan international city. So we say, this is the place to be. And we go to Prague in 2014. And we win the bid for the United States. I thought that was a good thing. No, it is a good thing. The World Congress, just so, as a little background for your listeners, the World Congress is, since in 1980, there was a World, a World Congress for Pediatric Cardiology. And then it happened again in 85. And then in 89, there was a World Congress for Cardiac Surgery. And then they decided, oh, let's put it together in 1993. And it was cardiologists and surgeons. And that was... The first World Congress was in 1993. Do you know what happened the year before that, team? The internet. It's not a coincidence, mm. right? So people started to get, you realized you could go over to Paris, which is where it was, and you could share abstracts electronically. Mm. It opened up, that opened up conferences, quite frankly, when, when that happened in, in 93. And so then it's gone around. It's been in Paris. It's been in South in uh, Cape Town, South Africa. It's been in Buenos Aires. Been in Barcelona. It hasn't been in, in the United States as a combined. Hold on one second. As a combined meeting, it has. It hasn't been in the uh, United States as a combined meeting ever. So for the first time in thirty-eight years, people in the United States, North America, the world, but certainly us, have a chance to see a once-in-a-lifetime event. 
that has, as of today, 3,200 registrants, 1,600 abstracts. We think we'll get to 4,500 people from all over the world. We have people from 101 countries registered. So you can hear a talk about transplants in Tehran, Iran. You can hear a talk about how they deal with authority gradients in Sydney. You don't get that opportunity to have an international faculty. So it's a large meeting. It's, it's got a lot of, and oh. And no, I was going to say the one last thing it was supposed yeah, to be sorry, in 2021, ahead, but ahead. COVID. So we had this planned in 2021 yeah. mm. and now we're, it's like having a wedding, getting divorced and having another wedding, I guess I've never been divorced, <laughs> but so we're ready yeah. to go, but it's just a massive affair. Not, but, and it's a massive affair. Yeah, I, I'm. we're thrilled. I'm so excited. And I want to give a shout out to this for all the nurses and the RTs. The It's the Saturday, Saturday before, and Sunday. is that correct, is when they're having the symposium and Sunday specifically for the nursing staff. So, and there's a lot of really great topics. That is what I, I'm aiming to get Excellent. there early for that specifically. Sam and I are ex- very excited. We... I mean, I, I've been so thrilled about this and it's fun because I happen to work in a university that is very excited to be a part of this as well. And so I don't know if there's, I think this is a huge opportunity for all NICU, CVICU, RTs, nurses, anyone who works in those facilities, NPs, NNPs, PAs, everyone. This is a huge, huge opportunity that everyone should take advantage if you can. Get the time off now. I just have to like even appreciate the fact that nursing is included and not not just included, like as in you can attend, but truly embraced in that way. Because I think a lot of things when it comes to conference worlds, like even for neonatology and stuff, there's NAN, which is NICU nurses, neonatal nurses association. And then there's other things that are specific to neonatologists and you don't get so much crossover. But Truly back to the beginning part of this interview with you was talking about how multidisciplinary it takes to be in an ICU setting. And so I am, I, I don't know, I just really respect the fact that you guys have made this such a multidisciplinary yeah, affair. How can we do it any other way? We want progress, but I said it many times, we want progress, but we're resistant to change. NAN rarely has doctors at it. The American College of Cardiology rarely has nurses at it. Yes. And if they have nurses, they're in the corner rooms over there not working. And that's not how we work. That's not how we work every day. It's not how we give the best care for patients. So it's, we have parents that are speaking. So it's the, it's the eighth World Congress of Pediatric Cardiology and we have patients too speaking. So eighth World Congress, Pediatric Cardiology, Cardiac Surgery. It's August 27th, the pre-conference day uh, to September 1st. It ends on Labor Day. The only good, not the only good thing, but one of the good things happened because of COVID was that our, they were dying to get hotels opened again. So when they gave us our hotel rooms, we got incredibly cheap hotel rooms. So it's like $200 in Washington, D.C. on the Labor Day weekend. That just, that just doesn't happen. Do the one thing I do want to, yeah, no. the one thing I do want to emphasize hoping, is that many meetings yeah, please, please. are, you go for a couple of days and you come back. This is an investment. This is an investment in your career. It's a week long. Mm-hmm. You, know, you got to get the time out or you can leave early, but it's a week long. It's priced because it's a week long. And it, it's the one time in your life you get to be 
with people from around the world in a multidisciplinary meeting that has your, and whoever's listening to this, your, you could be an anesthesiologist, you could be a nurse, you could be a staff cardiologist, a person who does MRI or somebody who does stem cells. There's something for everybody here, top to bottom. And I hope that people realize how special this is and take advantage of it. So it's a five-day meeting. It's priced for staff physicians higher than for everybody else. So nurses, fellows in training, PhDs, anyone else who wants to come. It's cheap. Now, the, the, I feel like an announcer now that I have my microphone. The, uh, <laughs> Here we take go. advantage of the early bird rates, which end on July 14th. You are the first people to learn today that the early bird rates were extended to July 14th. So you, so they'll go, they'll go up about a hundred bucks, 200 bucks for staff physicians in two weeks. So, and it takes that long to make plane reservations and everything else. So I hope that, that people come. Well, and the two day Academy, you can buy separately for the nurses. If you're a local Mm -hmm. and you want to hit it up. The other thing I want to say is if Sam and I could swing it, you know, we would love to go out and maybe do like a meet and greet, maybe go to dinner somewhere if we can swing this. So we will definitely, mm-hmm. this is something that we have intention to go to. And I'm just, I'm so excited for this skill. Like, I think that this is remarkable. Wait, can I also circle back to this? I really have to know. Oh, the yeah. CVICU but before, before I get to, before yeah. I get to we that, gotta get, we got to circle back. Having seen these Instagram, what are they called? Okay. Reels? Having seen these reels that you do, I expect you to be like, yeah. All, all around the World Congress, and just showing everybody. Oh, look, look, there's. <laughs> there we go. Let's do this. Oh, I can't wait. I was just thinking of like, okay, content-wise, what can we start making and sharing? You know, I, I just, it's just really exciting, and I also love your passion. Are you a couple times? A couple times, but I've got too much chance, to I'm do. Hoping... But I do want to say one thing okay. for the, for everybody that comes. I know the, you're uh, like you're running yeah, the show. It, it's it, it's a price one has to pay. There, there's an anatomy lab that is, you start on this side and you see specimens. Oh, then you see how that specimen looked uh, real hearts, right? Then, then you go over here and you see what it looks like on an echo or an angio. And then you go over here and you put on virtual reality and you can walk your way through it. And then you can pick up a 3d heart that shows tetralogy. So as many times as we draw, like Amir will draw on the whiteboard, there is something very different in 3d holding Mm -hmm. the heart. And saying, now I got it. This has never existed before ever. This was oh, our wow. idea. So that that is a huge piece yeah. of content that I expect you to wow. be doing reels in. Like, hi, look, I have tetralogy right here. <laughs> I Tori, I <laughs> Oh my God, let's right do it. In my hand. I can't wait. We're gonna well, all this AI and everything that's going Seriously. on. Like, you know what's interesting, and I love that you brought this up. Is I'm always surprised in our medical field. I feel like we are so freaking resistant to change. Mm-hmm. And why aren't we more progressive in ways like this? I agree. And I think this is amazing. And it's crazy that this is the first time, but here we are. And, you know, I think that you're just leading in that way of like, hey, these are the things that are happening and showing people and like bringing people together. Like, this is what fires me up mm-hmm. is these kinds of things because I, I don't know. I've, having been to NeoHeart now twice, those were some of the best experiences I ever had. And I, I would imagine this one's going to be exponentially even better just because it's it's so much on a bigger level in terms of people from around the world. And well, I don't know. I'm really excited. This this is the kind of thing that gets me up. And I know 
Uh, it's an investment. I, but I do want to give NeoHeart a shout out. They're very forward thinking. They always have been of it's not my silo of neonatology mm-hmm. and not my silo of pediatric cardiology and not my silo of cardiac surgery and not my silo of bedside nursing and not my silo of advanced practice nursing. All of those people come together for babies with heart mm-hmm. disease. We should not work in silence. And they are very forward, very forward thinking. And right. we did a little bit of a bad, I did a little bit of a bad job on the um, marketing of this because we, we emphasized that this was a unique track of the World Congress. And many people in your field, when they read the way we promoted it, didn't think the meeting was for them. We had faculty say, why am I getting an invitation to this? Right, I don't go okay. to that meeting. Mm-hmm. So we're trying to do a pivot that this right, is right, neonatal right, right. cardiology. But, but international neonatal cardiology. Right. Mm. Yeah. No, I, I, and it's, it is funny because it's how important branding and thinking about those things actually is. And it's such a, you know, it's a learning curve, right? You, mm-hmm. you learn and you pivot and you figure it out. And yeah. no, you're doing a wonderful job. And, you know, things like today, this is, you know, getting you behind the mic and hearing this. Yeah. Like, I just think this is so valuable to hear from the founder of this amazing well, it's, thing. I mean, it, yeah. it, there's another Kill experience. Them, there's another, I love slogan because they, they stick around for a while because they actually mean something. And one is uh, good judgment comes from experience and experience comes from bad judgment. So I'm at the other end of that curve, <laughs> but you have to learn from the bad judgment. And now we know how to market to the audience. You can't do it the way I did it. So hopefully we'll be able to get enough neonatologists uh, especially through the help you're giving us. So I, I, uh, I can't thank you enough for exposing this out there. Yeah. Spicing up the Instagram. Well, you know, what's interesting too, is I, I just think like, where's your audience? You know, and I, for me, my, I know my audience, right? They're on Instagram, they're on TikTok, they're on those platforms. And I think medical thinks they're not supposed to be there. And in my head, I'm like, no, 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 no. Like you are supposed to be there. That is where everyone is. Right. And so it's just learning about Maybe that's a part of the shifting, right? Shifting for us in medical is like learning how to reach our everyone that you want to reach. And until it's your generation running meetings and what I've learned from your generation and my kids and whatnot. (laughs) But, you know, the senior people that are running this meeting want to talk about brochures through postal mail and they want to talk about email blasts. And okay, Mm. it's not an or, it's an and. Like if you rely just on that, and Good don't point. take advantage of Twitter med and all the things you know a hell of a lot better than me. Oh, I hope right. that will be, I hope that there'll be some Again. hashtagging. <laughs> That's such a cool word. I hope that there will be some hashtagging yeah. going on. At the, I, I know we have some hashtags and stuff like that. So I'm counting on you too. Yeah. It's on, it's on the I Instagram too. And we will link the Instagram as well as website and mm-hmm. everything, of course, in the show oh, notes. Cool. So everything is going to be there for everybody. All right, you you want to hear uh, yeah. the dark the dark side of cardiac question. intensive care? Know. Yes. Um, yes. So have ha- selfie unpopular oh, then, opinion. Yeah, give us the unpopular oh, yeah, opinion. We didn't ask him. We didn't. Um, we didn't ask you what your unpopular opinion. We're was, doing this now, backwards. Yeah, this you can end. You can close us out with <laughs> close your us out with your unpopular um, opinion. There you go. Yeah, I'm a big fan of. Do you know what dialectical thinking is? Is holding two seemingly opposite views no. at the same time as true. That, that, is, the, that is the notion of, that, that's, well, that's an end. Oh, that's hurts. when something is an end. I, I, wish, I wish that we had changed the way we marketed 
not but, I wish the way we marketed neonatology better, and now we're doing a better job. Both are, both are true. Okay. Um, so that's dialectical thinking. So I, I have a pretty good view, I think, of the brilliance of cardiac intensive care and the uh, dark side, the Darth Vader of cardiac intensive care. So, so it comes back to the, you have to know the history behind this about why it happened. So in the eighties, when prostaglandin was now sort of new, echo was around, Dr. Norwood had designed the, the Norwood procedure. Dr. Castaneda started doing neonatal arterial switches. I was doing 36 hours in a row. This was all happening at the same time. The surgeons realized we, the, we were in a surgical ICU. That's the way it was set up in Boston. It was 18 beds and nine beds were general surgery and nine beds were cardiac surgery. And the nursing staff floated, but there were two different care teams. And it was, there was a bed space with a, um, I don't know, I think a congenital diaphragmatic hernia or some baby on oscillation or whatever we, used, we had at the time. And Dr. Norwood had a, a patient he needed to operate on and he literally unplugged the kid, literally unplugged the kid and say, this kid's going to the other side of the unit. My patient goes here. Can't do that shit anymore. But that's what happened. But, but clearly what happened was <laughs> cardiac intensive care was set up pure and simple for the surgeon's benefit. We talk about it now as some specializing in this and all this, and we have, we have revisionist history. This was purely done for the surgeons so they could cohort them. The byproduct of that was the nurses got very skilled and getting a spidey sense of when something's not right. We didn't have the monitoring we had right now. The best monitor is a bedside nurse. Mm -hmm. And then all the neonatal stuff was put there, and we realized we learned a lot about taking care of neonates term with heart disease. In the same place came uh, a six-year-old having her atrial septal defect closed or a conduit chain. And we sort of said, well, that's what cardiac intensive care was. It was all cardiologists, not intensivists, who like taking care of critically ill kids. That's what a cardiac intensivist is. It's not what training path you have. You devote your career to critically ill patients with congenital or acquired heart disease. That, that's what it is. And the PICUs hated us because once we said, th there was good friends of mine now, but it's, in fact, it was uh, some of the people at, at Chalk. What are we going to have next? A big toe intensive care? You know, we, she, we can take care of everything. So it's, yeah, of course it is. It's still a thing. PICU versus CVIC versus it is. NICU, it's still a thing. It's still a thing. Okay. Well, and I think it, actually the structure of some children's hospitals yeah. of, where they send their pre-op parts because some, some pre-op is NICU, post-op is CVICU mm -hmm. until the rest of their life. But some hospitals, pre-op is CVICU. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, the PICU, NICU. It's definitely a dynamic. Or the PICU, CVICU because they used to not have them separate and well, there's still there's, that turf wars. We all there's want progress turf wars. Turf wars. resistant to change. Maybe that's what we should call the podcast. Well, boom. Can I drop? You know what? You oh, need your oh, own no, podcast. Do that. Like, that was you. No, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Sorry. Drop the mic. <laughs> no, he's like, no, that was. He's like, I need this mic. We, we That's thought that, so good. and we Love learned it. a ton. We learned a ton. But there's always unintended consequences. 
So I would say the first unintended consequence was neonatology trainees stopped seeing kids with cardiac disease. So now there are many attendings who really don't have the grasp of complex mm -hmm. resistance, pressure, ductus, ASD, let alone complex congenital heart disease. No mm -hmm. fault of their own. I, I love this is because I have made intention. I float over to CVICU often. Well, you did critical care float pool. I did critical care float pool. I love CVICU and it is very closely linked to NICU, but you're right. It takes you, it is a specialty, you can't right? Dabble. So it's like it takes you time and a lot this. of extra you effort on your part. No. no, no, it's like you have right. you to could, really you be couldn't engaged dabble in, this, in taking care of a right? micro preemie. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I work on the floor, but let me take care no. of this 450 grammar. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work that way, right? So the equal downs, the same thing right. happened with PICU attendance. Okay. The next dark side of this is that research that's done in cardiac units is not relevant to half of the pediatric ICUs in the country because they're mixed units. So the stuff that comes out of my unit is relevant to people who have units set up like mine but not my unit in particular. Mm -hmm. Next dark side mm -hmm. is we have these different care models of NICU, OR, CI. Worst thing that could ever have been invented in my opinion. So the mm -hmm. three handoffs on the most dangerous day of a baby's life and the family learns a whole new care team. Mm -hmm. Whoever thought that was a good idea, right? So there's right. that. There's the fact that if you have a mixed unit, there might not be the experience with recognizing tamponade the same way it might be. If, so there's, there's things that have been lost in the current generation of attendings now by us separating the units 20 years ago. Research yeah. is different. So yeah. mm -hmm. there's a good side of this and a bad side of this. So I love that you're going into we that. We specialize to a fault sometimes. Yeah, I agree. And it's interesting because just last week I had a situation where I had a baby who was going to surgery literally the next morning and no one had taken them over to the other unit where the, they were going to post-op. So I love that you bring that up because you're right. Like it's those little details where it's so overwhelming for these families. And yes, is it just a walk down the hall? But like I literally took them over there and said, okay, this is where you're going to be going. This is the side of unit you're going to be on and you're going to be seeing the staff for the rest of their life. Right, right. But like I can't, it, it went's on me to do that because so it I have gets a, So I have a short-term solution. I have a short-term solution you know, and an unpopular is. solution. So, so Sam, so Sam, well, yeah, when you said we specialize to a fault, I think we can be a little, well, I think we can be, be a little Sometimes. too hard on ourselves. We special, everything we do has unintended yeah. consequences. It's not like we're trying to have that happen. We're trying yeah. to do the best we can. And once we start recognizing mm -hmm. what the unintended consequences are, we can start to make a difference in that. So for example, I don't work at your place. I may piss off people at your place, but to me, you get transferred to the recovery. You get transferred to the CICU two days before your operation. The parents then meet the team. They're not mm -hmm. meeting a new team with an incision and an open chest, but all solutions are local. That's not what I want to talk about. Right. So. Here's my unpopular solution that I've debated at various societies and has made me um, a little bit of a, a you know, my job at my bit. point in my career, my point in my career is I stir the pot. I like stirring the pot because if you don't we think, and you, this is the way, like you said, this is the way we've always done it. Selfie I'm energy. There. So if I had to do it all over again, so I was, I was one of the founding members of the Cardiac ICU Society. 
one of the first cardiac intensive care units. I would eliminate cardiac intensive care units. Pause. I would eliminate uh-huh. cardiac intensive care units. So if I was building Pause. a hospital from scratch, I would eliminate them <laughs> and I would still have cardiac intensiveness. So here's, here's what I would do. I had an unlimited ATM and I was building a brand new model. First of all, I wouldn't do it in a children's hospital because what's happening with adult congenital heart disease is you go to a new hospital, a different medical record, a different ecosystem, a different group of people. When you're 24 in my unit, I don't know what to do with someone Zoloft, you know, and there's nobody at my, there's, there's somebody on my, there's somebody in my hospital right now. There's nobody in my children's hospital who deals with adult issues. But if you're, if you're part of, let's say Duke, mm-hmm. right. Or Inova, which is near us, where you go down the hallway and, and find somebody who can come over. I can't get a psychologist for my patient's parents because every psychologist in my place chose to be a pediatric psychologist. And even though, mm-hmm. even though the parents mm-hmm. need it and we want to get them help at the most stressful time of their lives, we can't do it because we're an independent children's hospital. There's many benefits and unintended consequences of being in the children's hospital. So what I would do is I would make right. a unit for prematology. That is a different disease than full-term babies with critical stuff, right? So what is done the neonatal to somebody, I could walk into your unit and help take care of any term kid, a congenital diaphragmatic hernia or an omphalocele or HIE or that stuff I get, but tell me what to do with 700 grams of a baby. I have no clue. So you'd have a prematology unit. Then I would have a neonate, critically ill neonatal unit, non-term, not premature. So CDH, HIE, phallocele, uh, newborn sepsis, congenital heart disease. We would all learn, we would all learn from each other, right? So the neuro kids, the neurology that we would learn in neonatal neurology would be very applicable to the cardiac population. How the blood goes around in a kid with pulmonary, mm-hmm. yes, right? How the blood hypoxic, goes around a CDH yeah, baby. Uh, Amir gave a great talk on this, that a duct dependent lesion. Mm-hmm. What do you do when the ductus reverses its flow? How fast do you wean the nitric oxide? We would learn from each other in that, in that setting. Every PICU can take care of a, a child that comes in two months old after tetralogy repair. Good PICU, cardiology consultation, mm-hmm. surgical consultation. Those kids are going to do absolutely fine. So I would have four units and the fourth unit would be the graduates from all of those units that need chronic critical care. Because right now. I yeah. So your DOU, so it's not quite peds floor, but it's like a one-to-one or it's a two-to-one. It's the pick you step down. It's your pick you step down. Chronic critical yeah. care. Yeah. I, yeah. I think what we try be, to do now, yes. what we do now is we shoehorn yeah. them, we shoehorn them into the yeah. model yeah. we currently have. But design mm-hmm. it from scratch. Who, who wants to work there? What should the personnel mm-hmm. strategy be, et cetera, et cetera. So I would build four units and then the adult, the adult I, congenital unit would is, be the other. That is very place. smart. Could not agree But more. we all want, it won't happen, but no, that's like, what I would Honestly, do. because, yeah. No, because people are well, you know, resistant to change. Is, you know, our, our, I work at a university center. So kind of along the lines of where you are minus the pre- but what's interesting is they didn't think about the things that I love that you brought this up in terms of the, the higher level kids who are 
more the chronic, right? So they're the post-ops, are going to a peds floor on a section of that floor, but they're really not, they're still higher level of care and it's burning the nurses out. And they're not thinking about the things that you're, you know, I was trying to call over to a fellow the other night and he was kind of irritated because he had to come over and like, so the work Did you tell him it's not really about not you? You have to tell him it's not about you. Fella. And that's what causes. It's not about you. So, but it's great because, no, I love that you're bringing this up because I think it's like, we do need to start thinking out of the box. We need to start working as a team. People are burned out. We got to figure out how to get to the core of it. And I like, you know, you're talking about the full picture, right? Because it does take a team. It takes all of us. And having that dynamic thinking, hopefully down the line, someone will hear this and be like, guys, we should redesign this or Mm -hmm. we should rethink this. How are we doing this? Or can we staff this a little differently? Or can we teach this a little differently? Or can we bring on someone who's better at this? Well, there's two kinds of people. Stuff like that. This is why we love you. There are the yes, if people and the no, because people. We fall into one of those categories. Mm-hmm. You all know the person who you have a great idea and they say no because X, Y, Z, whatever it might be. There's other right. people. Yeah, we could do that. We need $40,000 and we need 22 people. They make it positive as opposed to we don't have that money. They say, yeah, we can do that. Let's figure out a way to. Right. It, it solves problems mm-hmm. completely differently. I don't know any hospital right now that could basically stop operations to make that happen because that's what you'd have to do right yeah yeah, yeah you could you could do it you have to you could do it and you'd have to get buy-in by three icu directors and you know what uh, stops all these new ideas in their track in academic medicine is ego space that's all it is mm-hmm. Right. And, and just call it out what it is. Well, people don't want to give up ownership to things. They work. I mean, we get Sam, they work for that. that are about to turn one years old and they don't want to transfer them to pick you. It's like, this is not a neonate anymore. Give it up. Yeah. Like give it, it a rest. Go, you, it, it's like, pick you time. I'm maxed stop. out on everything. You got, yes. We exactly. can't yes. stop having this damn near toddler. in <laughs> All right. So repeat you. after me. We all want progress. Come on. What? But we're resistant to change. But <laughs> we, we were resistant to change. Okay. Resistant to but change. Resistance to change. Yes. But I think one of the best things that I think Tori and I align on this. We are the yes, we can make this happen. We need XYZ. Because I'd never look at something to be like, nope, that's not possible. I'm like, all right, how Good can I make this Good. work? Yeah. You want to come work in Washington? Come work in Washington. The all right. Can I tie it up no. with one more story? As so we so we yes. were talking about yes, music please. and medicine and how one thing leads to another and you never know where it's going to go and all the rest of it. So I'm in Philadelphia and one we're doing morning rounds and I don't know. So we have a PICU fellow and cardiology fellow and usual staff. And I said what I was talking about before, I said, you know, one of the things that you can notice as we do all this care is that surgeons are like classical musicians. They repeat and repeat and repeat and do it the same way and focus and the surgical outcomes happen because they're more like classical musicians. But those of us who work in here are more like jazz musicians. Like what I said before, you know, you hear what's going on around you, you work as a group, you respond to people. And after rounds, a critical care fellow, her name is Vanessa, came up to me, are you a musician? What? Like, why did you say that? I'm like, well, I am. I, I'm a piano. She goes, oh, I used to sing in, in clubs in Miami. Um, so, oh, really? What do you like to sing? There's a few things. So we went, I have a, an electronic piano in my office and she came up post-call and sang a Stan Getz song called Corcovado in perfect Portuguese. We became great friends 
And we have a band called the Baby Blue Sound Collective, which is all pediatric cardiologists and heart surgeons from around the world. We show, you can look us up on, uh, if you look us up on the iTunes, you'll find Baby Blue Sound Collective. We have two albums, but it's all pediatric cardiology, cardiac surgery. We're not bad. We're okay. So she, one one of the, we were the Blue Baby Sound Collective, but the parent groups didn't like us calling it the Blue Baby Sound Collective. So it's the Baby Blue Sound Collective. And I had, I had my neck who was a, not a, not a doctor uh, or nurse. He's a, a IT guy, but he's a phenomenal sax player. So we had him join us. He was our ringer. So Vanessa comes and joins us. She's a great singer and they get to know each other. And uh, then he's going out with someone and she's not a vice. Like, I don't know any of this. I'm totally clueless that they're like, um, anyway, they, they finally to, they finally get to the point that they become boyfriend and girlfriend. Then they got married. Now they have two kids. And she said to me, you know, I used to call you Dr. Ranofsky, but now you're Uncle Gil. So you, right? Oh. So if I didn't say that one thing on rounds while this particular fellow was there at that particular day, they would not be married and I wouldn't have a niece and a nephew by them. How, how do these things, how do these oh things God, happen, right? So, you know, I, I'm not going to get. Too spiritual on you, but I, I know that you and I are talking on this podcast. Something will happen because of this, and and, it, and it'll be for the it'll of be course, for the good. Yeah. It's just the way this yeah. it's paid forward. That's just the way this works. God, I just love you. We just love need. It. I need like a little gill in my. Nice. No, you don't. Like, no, you don't. No, you don't. I I have it. <laughs> yes, we do. This is the kind I, of energy we like. We all have a dark side. <laughs> you know that. <laughs> <We> need... <laughs> Even cardiac intensive care. We do, but we need like gills ten. 10 rules to live by I, from Gil. Yeah. There, are a couple command, there are a couple commandments. Reminder. Yeah. Commandments. Yeah, they're not we rules. Like those they're, commandments. they're commandments. We need a list of those. But that'll be for the next one. Okay. I like that. That's more firm. That's more firm. <laughs> All right. Just, just uh, a tech. Well, thank you. No, it's been, it really so, has been my so pleasure, much. both of you. Sam, it's nice to meet you virtually. Oh. And I look forward to seeing yes. you, both of you in Washington, yes. D.C. On August 27th through September 1st, Labor Day weekend, 2023. <laughs> Wow, you have a good deeply discounted room rates. Movie you voice. Do. Invest a week. <laughs> invest a week in your career. It'll last a lifetime. Oh my gosh! There we go. <laughs> you have movie. You preview have really. I, he does. Is that what it is? Yeah. I was about to say podcast like, voice, no, but this is like preview, movie like preview. in a world yeah. where two da -da 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 -da. people collide. Like <laughs> picture, if you will, a time where there so is no. Good. Yeah. I'm also. It's also been said that I have a face. I have a love, face love, for love. audio, so it's good. That there's a reason we do a podcast. <laughs> hardly, so. hardly. Yeah, we know. Oh my gosh. Well, well we're so we're excited. so excited, and Thank today you. was so much. As fun. am I. Yeah, as you am are I. a treasure. Okay, well, we're officially going. We are, and I hope you're there because who does not want to be part of? This? We are so excited. If you do decide to come, you guys, send us a DM, and Sam and I will try and connect with you. Sam will be officially working the event just because she is going to be going with her company. But uh, we will do our best to try and meet up with you guys. Say hi. We are thrilled to be going to this. And uh, I haven't been to D.C. in so long. I went a year ago, but it was for a funeral. So it wasn't like yeah, it was I didn't. Different. Yes, okay. very different. So I'm really excited because it was a cool city, but I didn't do anything in the city so i'm really excited to yeah to come back yeah we're thrilled to to come over to the east coast and maybe meet some of you guys we and everything to, to do with 
parts. Like that's my jam. Oh, I, I nerd out on this stuff. This is going to be I honestly it's so interesting because, you know, as Gil said, this is an investment and that's how we're both seeing this, you know, with our time. It's an investment, but also fun and something, you know, that we wouldn't normally you know, get or be able to do. But let's go. Let's all go together. We hope to see you guys there. Yes. Can't wait. Link in bio. Absolutely. And make sure you guys are following us as always. Make sure you head over to our IG. That's at C-E-L-L-F-I-E underscore podcast. You can find all of our goodies linked there in the bio. And please thank you for all your reviews. If you drop a five-star review on Spotify or leave an IG review with your IG. No, I can't talk. Podcast review on apple love Dr. that ig handle free stickers yay who doesn't love that absolutely <laughs> and make sure you're following us on our insta that's at nurse tori and at hey samantha with two a's and it'll probably be about a week or so until yeah. you hear from us we're just yeah kind of sorting some stuff out yep but yeah, yeah stay tuned yeah we'll see you guys in in two weeks oh yeah yeah, yeah. all right all right love. guys bye, bye.